0: Once that you've decided on a killing, first you make a stone of your heart. And if you find that your hands are still willing, then you can turn a murder into art. Good morning, my name is Andrea Smith. I'm the lead pastor here at West and we are so grateful that you chose this morning to spend your time worshiping here with us, especially if you are worshiping with us online. We extend a very special and warm welcome to you. I will give you a little uh, precursor to the message and a disclaimer this morning. If you're worshiping with us for the first time, usually the messages are what I would call G-rated. That um, They're G and this morning they are going to be PG and I will let you know that yesterday my thoughts probably fell in the NC-17 category. So uh, normally the sermons are nice and innocuous and I try to propel us to do some good in the world in the name of God. But i but my opening illustration this morning is a little different, and we'll go more towards the NC-17 rating, so forgive me ahead of time. Uh, yesterday afternoon, or well, around lunchtime, my husband, Scott Smith, his doctor, called me, and Scott was working with two of his colleagues, and he had planned on stopping work about 2 o'clock and coming home, and so... I was expecting, you know, this afternoon of doing something fun. I'm sitting there doing laundry, my phone rings, it's Scott's doctor and they share with me that he is on his way to the ER at Lake Norman. Now That's a bit of a surprise because normally I would expect Scott, you know, to call me and say, Hey, dear, I'm on my way to the ER and I have some health concerns. We wondered if his appendix was acting up on Friday evening. He did not feel well, but, you know, Saturday morning he was fine, went to work, blah, blah, blah. So I get off the phone with his doctor and I start, you know, getting things together. And, I mean, I have to be honest, I was a little concerned because truth... Scott normally would have called me. So the fact that he didn't showed me that he really was actually not feeling very well. In the meantime, while I was getting things ready, his colleagues that were so gracious in taking him to the hospital began texting me, letting me know uh, what was going on and that he was just in dire pain, unable to talk, etc. So that made my anxiety level increase a little more. And I I have this thing with me. Now, before I finish this illustration or story, I want to ask you, do you know what this is? Yes, okay. And if you're worshiping online, it is an air condition air conditioner filter. And one of the most important lessons that I have learned in life centered around this thing. It is a filter. And I'll tell you why I learned that lesson a little later on. And I'm also going to share with you a person in scripture who did not have a filter. And it proved to his advantage. So this morning we're going to talk about when we should have a filter, when we shouldn't have a filter. So back to the illustration and the NC-17 rating. I'm driving to the hospital and not texting and driving because I do not think that is a good idea ever. But if I would be stopped in traffic on 150, which was pretty frequent yesterday, stopped, I would glance at my phone to see how things were going. And... They were sharing that Scott was in increased pain, etc. So, true confession, by the time I got to the hospital, I was probably a little over-anxious. And when I get anxious or stressed... First of all, my neck breaks out in nice little red splotches. And then um, apparently, and this will shock you, I know, I become very quiet. And so when I got to the hospital, yeah, thanks for the chuckle of dismay, but it's true. Uh, When I get really scared and anxious, I don't speak. When I got to the hospital, I walked in the ER entrance and I could not find anyone there. And so I thought, okay, well, there's probably someone out in the bigger waiting room area. I've been in ministry here in the Lake Norman area 13, 14 years now. So I've spent lots of time at the hospital. I I know where the people sit. So I went in the other area, still couldn't find anybody. Went to the front desk, still couldn't find anybody. So by this time, you know, I'm really anxious and perhaps just a tiny bit upset. And so I'm texting Scott's colleagues and said, you know, I'm here. Can you please, you know, come let me in? I, I would like to see him. And they were looking for me at the same time. And so we had crossed paths. We finally found each other. And I really, past this point, I don't remember exactly what happened. But I do remember after, you know, the first minute or so as we were walking back into the ER, Scott's colleague turned and looked at me. And I could tell she was addled. It had, it had been a rather stressful morning. And she turned and looked at me and said, you are here to see Scott, right? And this is the NC-17 part. I thought, who in the beep would I be here to see today? I mean, and then I thought, look at me. I have on a t-shirt. I have on gym shorts. I look like a vagabond. Who else in the world would I be here to see? I am not here on a pastoral care visit in the middle of a Saturday afternoon looking like this. Of course I'm here to see my husband. Now that all went through my head, but because of this. I had enough sense not to say anything. I imposed my filter. Yeah, there was a chuckle. I should impose my filter a lot more, probably. But you see, that's one of the best lessons that I've learned about being an adult and being in relationships with other people. I learned that because I heard someone say something about me several years ago right when West was getting ready to charter as a church one of the bosses that I had was telling me how he described me to other people and I was shocked to hear that he described me as someone who had no filter but I was kind And he said, you know, I like to tell other church planters about you. He said, we always know exactly where we stand, and we always know exactly what you're thinking. He said, so I just like to describe you as someone who has no filter, but you're kind. And I wasn't exactly sure if that was a compliment or not. And, you know, five, six years later, I'm probably still not exactly sure if that was a compliment or not. But... Because he said that I had no filter, I have now imposed a filter. And when I find myself in uncomfortable situations or recognizing that I'm getting ready to speak and say something that I really should not say, I impose a filter. I impose a filter based on, I hope, the teachings of Jesus. If what I'm going to say is going to hurt someone else, then I need to stop. I need to impose the filter. If what I'm going to say is only because of the way that I feel or my perspective that I need to stop. So let me say that one more time. If, if what I'm getting ready to say is only because of Andrea Smith's feelings, selfish desires, unbridled emotions, then I need to stop. And so that's what I did yesterday. You see, Jesus in the Beatitudes teaches, you know, that blessed are those who learn to see life and see situations from the perspective of the other person. Blessed are those who see what other people are going through and then put themselves in that situation. So yesterday, thank goodness, I imposed a filter on What I would say to Scott's colleague. She really was just trying to help. And I am certain that I was some kind of silent conundrum because I'm walking around, my husband's in the ER, things are a little tenuous, and I won't talk. And I certainly never seem to be at a loss for words at any other time in my existence. She's probably very confused. And so when she said, you are here to see Scott, right? I imposed the filter and I just said, yes. Yes, I'm here to see Scott. In scripture, there is a gentleman that did not have a filter, He did not impose a filter in any of the three encounters that we find him speaking out loud and it's recorded in the Gospels. I'm sure he said a lot more things, but we have three instances that this disciple was quoted in Scripture. And his lack of using a filter caused him to get a very bad reputation. So this morning, I want us to actually look at when do we impose a filter, when do we not, and, and how it can be okay, actually, to go through life unfiltered, and I want us to look at why. The disciple that we're going to talk about this morning is, goes by the name of Thomas. You may have heard of him as Doubting Thomas We are in the middle of a message series, How to Get Away with Murder. Is it really murder if death doesn't win? We are in the post-season of Easter. A couple of weeks, we had this great day and this excitement and high energy with all the things that happened here in this place or online with the Easter service. And now it's, you know, three weeks later and it's like, okay, so what? What now? And... Our challenge as people who were thinking about following Christ or as followers of Christ is living into the fact that if we embrace the power of the Easter message, if we embrace the power and the joy and the life that comes in the resurrection then that feeling and that joy and that mountaintop experience of Easter does not have to go away because, you see, death doesn't win. Resurrection does. And resurrection and resuscitation are two very different things. Jesus did not get resuscitated. He resurrected. And that's very different. And If we believe in that resurrection, then then we can embrace that Jesus appeared to the disciples in ways that we do not understand. But he did appear to lots of them. There are over 500 instances that, uh, or 500 people that the Gospels record that Jesus appeared to post resurrection before the ascension. And this morning, the scripture verse that we're going to look at of verses is actually the story of Thomas. I want us to put ourselves in Thomas's shoes. I want us to become the people who doubt for a little while, and I want us to think about what would our lives be like if, if we live our lives with a filter, when we don't need to say things that are hurtful to others, and then... What would our lives be like if in those other times we live without a filter? I think sometimes we put the filter in the places where it shouldn't be, and then we forget to use it like I do sometimes in the places that we should. This morning, the scripture lesson that I'm going to read is from the Gospel of John. It's several different passages, but it's telling the story of Thomas, but it's telling the story of the disciples encountering the resurrected Jesus after the, the time at the tomb. It's John 20, the end of the chapter. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, so this would have been later on in the day after the women encountered that the tomb was empty, and the doors of the house... Where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Now, put yourselves in the disciples' shoes for just a minute. So they watched their Savior, their leader, their King, their Messiah, and their Lord be killed tragically. Just a few days before, people knew that they were followers of Jesus. I imagine they were scared. So here they are locked in this room. And, and notice that, you know, the gospel writer of John does not explain, he does not try to explain it away how Jesus just appears, but Jesus does. And he stands among them and says, Peace be with you. After he said this, He showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples all rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now, It doesn't list the disciples by name who was there when Jesus appeared, but Thomas was not there with them at the time. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the 12, was not with them when Jesus came. So later, when the other disciples told him, we have seen Jesus, we've seen the Lord, Thomas said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, And I put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. So before I read the rest of that passage, how would you feel? I mean, I call this middle school, maybe high school, but it's like middle school drama. There's a group of people and, and you're in the middle of it and they're your friend group. And then all of a sudden something, something you don't understand happens and, and poof, you're not in that friend group anymore. You are on the outside. I don't know if any of you remember that or have experienced that, but. Many students do, and many young people do in our day. They, they have a, gr- a group of friends, and then all of a sudden, they are the outsider. That's what happens to Thomas here. He's one of the 12. He's one of the disciples. And then, you know, Jesus is tragically killed. And the women experience the empty tomb They come to tell the disciples And later on that evening They're all gathered together and, and we could surmise that the women are probably there too But we don't always have examples Of when the women were present In the in the gospels Because of the historical context But we can assume that they're all gathered together They're in maybe a holy huddle They're locked behind this door Because they're afraid And then in their fear They encounter this resurrected Jesus They encounter Jesus. He shows up. And his message is one that was consistent all throughout his ministry. He says, peace be with you. You don't need to be afraid. Peace. My peace. So, I mean, can you imagine the euphoria and the excitement? I mean, their Messiah, their their Savior, the one that they had followed, was not really gone. And they experience that power, that presence in some mystical and divine way. So Thomas isn't there. So put yourselves in Thomas's shoes for just a minute, you know. They all come. Hey, guess what? Guess what? Guess what? He's alive. Death didn't win. We saw him and he talked to us. If somebody that we love with all of our being is all of a sudden missing from our lives and we're experiencing that sadness and that pain and then they show up to other people but we miss out, I imagine that we would find ourselves in a very difficult place. And so that's where the filter comes in. Thomas is filterless. And he says, I don't believe you unless I see him. Unless I see him. I am not at a place right now that I can take your word for it. So unless I see him and unless I touch the places where the nails were and if I touch where his side was pierced, unless I do that, I'm I'm just not going to believe. Thomas had no filter. And because of that, you know, we, we call him doubting Thomas. But this morning I would challenge us that maybe it's okay to be unfiltered, especially in situations like this. Because it is in this situation, it is in this place and time that Thomas is unfiltered, that because of his vulnerability and because of his willingness to share how he struggles, he experiences the power of the resurrected Lord. Listen to what happens. After Thomas says, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails in my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, did you catch that? A week later, a week passes from that time where Thomas is with the disciples saying, I don't, I don't buy it. A week later, The disciples were again in the house. This time Thomas was with them. Although again the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them. Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. And the very next thing that we have recorded here in John is, Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now, don't focus so much on that last sentence right now that's a whole other sermon in itself but when Jesus appears to Thomas and Thomas is with the other disciples Jesus shows up again peace be with you and then he doesn't berate Thomas Thomas shame on you how dare you not believe them, really? He doesn't do any of that. He just says peace. He first of all he shows up and then he says peace be with you. Thomas here. Thomas here. Touch me. Put your fingers where my wounds were, and take your hand and put it in my side. The gospel writer does not say that Thomas did that. We don't have a written account of the fact that he, like, you know, tested Jesus. When he experienced those words, when he heard that in whatever mystical way it happened, something changed in him. So that no longer he was a person of disbelief. Instead, he is a person of belief and he cries out in that. My Lord and my God. He claims the resurrected power. And he's changed. Thomas had no filter. Because of his no filter, he was vulnerable and he was able to be at that place, that place where sometimes we feel alone, that place where sometimes we wonder if, if God does exist. Is there this resurrected power? Is there anything to this faith story? On Easter and Christmas Eve every year, I say, if you do not buy this at all, if you don't buy the virgin birth, if you don't buy the whole, you know, crucified on a cross and an empty tomb, if you don't buy it at all, okay. But if you will just give me a few minutes just to talk to you about the power that came from, from a historical story or a power that came through a resurrected Jesus, let's just see what happens. Thank you, first of all, for being a faith community that allows those questions. Not all places are okay with that gray area. In our world, we humans, we want black and white. We want answers. We want them succinctly. We want them to make logical sense because, you see, we like to be in control. We like to have our life mapped out on some kind of path and we want to know where A, B, C, D, and E are going to end up. And then we like to be able to control how we get to Z. And so in doing that, rarely do we like to make ourselves just completely vulnerable. We don't like to lose that control. We don't like to give up into that vulnerability. But look at what happens when we do. Look at what happens in Scripture. Look at what happens with one of the faithful disciples, Thomas. He was not filterless just in the time of the resurrection. He was filterless in all of his time with Jesus. Before Jesus got to Jerusalem, he was telling them, you know, I'm getting ready to go into the city. And and Thomas is like, all right, we are with you. I am all in. We will follow you to your death. So even there, Thomas is filterless. He, he loved Jesus so much. But then later on, right before the time of the crucifixion, Jesus was preparing them. He knew that he had upset the religious leaders and the government. He knew that his time on earth was going to draw to a close very quickly. So he was trying to give them, and I believe us, something to hold on to. And he says, you know, look, Very soon, I'm not going to be with you anymore. I'm not going to be here, but... And these are some of the most beautiful words, I believe, in the Gospel of John. Words that we share at Celebration of Life services, time after time. I'm not going to be with you anymore, but I promise, I promise, where I am going, you can go to. In my father's house, there are many rooms... And I go and I prepare a place for you so that where I go, there you may go too. And Thomas, without a filter, and I believe if it were, you know, 2016, Thomas would say, How in the heck do we know where you're going? Really? I mean, Jesus, there's no way we can know what you're going, but we do have it recorded in the Gospel of John he says that to Jesus. How do we know where you're going? There's no way we can know that. You haven't revealed that to us. So again, Thomas makes himself vulnerable. He says what he is thinking. And his words aren't going to bring harm to anyone else. His words aren't going to hurt Jesus. His words are merely going to let Jesus know where his heart and his soul is and know that maybe he needs just a little more care and a little more compassion and a little more guidance so that he can find the way and so after Thomas says how in the world would do we know where you're going you haven't told us where you're going Jesus says I am the way here's how you can know I am the way and those two words I am Reveal it all to us. Because you see, God, the divine being, in the Hebrew scripture in some of the first stories that we have in the, in the Old Testament or the Hebrew scripture, God reveals God's self to Moses as I am. When Moses was encountering the burning bush... God reveals God's self to Moses. When Moses says, what in the world? God says, I am. Moses says, who is this? Who are you? God says, I am. I am the I am. And that's how people began to refer to God as the great I am. So flash forward thousands of years and you have this time of Jesus And he knows that he's not going to be there anymore. He knows that that this, this movement that he has created to help people connect with God, because that's what he was doing, trying to show them a way to be at one with God. He says to them, the place that I am going, that you can come to, is revealed to you through me. I am. I am the way. And I am truth. And I am life. And if you want to experience life, if you want to experience God, if you want to experience the Father, you experience it through me. So Thomas heard that. That was the result of his unfiltered comments. And then later on, after the tragedy of Jesus' death, but also the joy of Jesus appearing to the disciples, and even though Thomas was on the outside looking in, a week later, Jesus shows up again and reveals himself to Thomas. So what do we take away from that? First of all, that we can be vulnerable. Jesus doesn't chastise him. He doesn't condemn him. He doesn't say, oh, you have little faith. He just says, Thomas. Here I am, touch me. And the other thing is that, uh, and this is the part that's so hard for us, a week passed. Sometimes time goes really, really slow. But if we'll just wait, I promise God shows up in ways that we can't even begin to understand Maybe we won't even be able to predict them. I doubt very seriously that Thomas, when they came to him and said, Look, we touched him. He's there. He's alive. I doubt Thomas said and thought to himself, You know what? I bet he does the exact same thing for me. He's going to show up in about a week. I imagine that was a very lonely week for Thomas, don't you? I mean, they got to experience the resurrected, the resurrected Lord, but he did not. He was on the outside looking in for a week, and, and I wish we had more details of the story. I wish we could see how it felt to be on the outside looking in, but we don't know. We just know that a week passed, but then his doubt turned to belief because a resurrected God showed up. And that, friends, is the message of Easter. So we are called to live into our doubts. And we are called, I believe, to be unfiltered people. Because Thomas was willing to lay it all out there. That vulnerability and that openness was there for God to show up. About 15 years ago, my stepmother became gravely ill. It was right before I, I took the job at, at Williamson's Chapel, and she became ill very quickly and in a matter of days, uh, became septic, and then she passed away. And it was, it was actually because of an, a bladder infection. So there was nothing wrong with her heart or any of the other things that we thought initially had, had caused her to grow ill. They had solved those problems. Now, I want you to back up about seven years prior to that experience for her. Uh, when I was in high school, she suffered a massive stroke. When I went to college, I had been in college a year or two, she suffered another ma- massive stroke. And each of those times, after those tragic things that happened to her body, she recovered miraculously and fully physically, but not emotionally and not mentally. A couple of years after the other stroke, she needed to have knee replacement surgery. So when she went in to have that done, they discovered right after that that she had congestive heart failure. They ended up treating her for that, and then I believe she had a a quadruple bypass surgery. She recovered from that, and then she was diagnosed with breast cancer. So in just a short amount of time, she had a lot of stuff. A woman of faith, no doubt, but she had a lot of stuff to carry around. And her daughter, my stepsister, who I refer to as my sister, I'll never forget after Doris, my stepmom, had been treated for the cancer, and and they told her, you know, Miss Fair, it's gone. All the cancer's gone. You've got a clean bill of health. You go live go live. And my sister and I, we couldn't quite figure out why she wasn't rallying like like she had before. I will never, ever forget the words that my sister said to me. She said, I am afraid that her doubt and her fear is going to will her to be sick again. And it wasn't just a few months after that that she did become ill, and she died. After my sister said that to me, I, you know, took it out on as a mission of mine to, like, get it out of her. I wanted her to claim her doubt. I wanted her to claim and name her fear so that then she could deal with it. You know, when we say things, we just put it out there. And it is when we say those things that we open ourselves up so that we can begin to heal. And healing's what it's all about. Being at one with perfection and at one with love. Daris could never claim that she was afraid and that she had doubts no matter how many different times and ways we would try to get her to say it. She would just, you know, I don't feel well or whatever. She would never say she was afraid and she was, she was afraid that the cancer was still there. But she was. And she let it eat away with her joy and with her ability to live life. So, as we close today, let go of your filter. There are times and there are places in our lives that we need to not have a filter. Because when we are filterless, it is in that vulnerability and that place that God can work. Let us pray. Gracious God, whatever barriers and walls we have up right now, will you please hear our prayers? Hear our unfiltered prayers. We each have stuff going on in our lives that we're afraid to name because it makes us vulnerable and it shows that maybe we're weaker than we want to be and that we are afraid. So God, pull our walls away. Pull pull our fears out of us and let us name our doubts. So that then the resurrected power that is alive and well always can show up. We offer ourselves to you in Christ's resurrected name. Amen. Scott, and I do want to say thank you for the text and the Facebook messages and the prayers, and we will continue to covet them. Um, he, the appendix did rupture, and so there is some infection, maybe slight, so they're treating him with antibiotics, massive antibiotics. So uh, we appreciate your prayers, and we can know that when we go unfiltered, God meets us there no matter how long we've been on the outside and feeling like we're on the outside. God meets us in that place. The resurrected Jesus shows up always. So may you go in that peace and that assurance of knowing that death does not win. Amen.